Greetings from TG Geeks webcast where Ben and Keith, the two gay geeks, talk about all aspects of geekdom and nerdery. Sci-fi, comics, film, horror, genre, you name it, we talk about it. Find our episodes each week on TGGeeks.com. Visit our Facebook page, TG Geeks Webcast. On Google Plus and YouTube, look for us as Two Gay Geeks. You can tweet at TG Geeks and at the Two Gay Geeks. Or call our feedback line at 469-TG-Geeks. That is 469-844-3357. Happy listening. Peace. Cheers. I'm Void. And I'm Beach. And together, we're the geek to geek Podcast. Well, we make it. It is kind of us, but I guess it's separate. Every week, we pick a topic from geek or digital culture and chat about it for a while. And you're invited. We talk about books and movies, games, comics, the internet. Or really whatever we feel like. Yeah, that too. So look for the geek to geek podcast on iTunes. Or wherever your podcasts are sold. Or downloaded. Or whatever. My name is Joe Hogan. Many of you know me as Epic Grays in various video games and social media. Welcome to episode 75 of Geektitude, a geek culture podcast that celebrates the inner geek in all of us. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by the host of Solo Q&A and co-host of Into the Nexus, Kyle Ferguson. How are you doing today, Kyle? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you are going to... Uh, Hopefully help me uh, improve my game a little bit and maybe uh, teach my husband a thing or two as well because uh, I've, as I said to my listeners last week, I have uh, taken on the job of teaching a non-gamer how to play Heroes of the Storm. And I realized that there is a language barrier <laughs> once that happens. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's... Reflects very much the pro scene, what we're all dealing with, in that Heroes of the Storm is such a unique MOBA in the scene that we're still inventing the words we need to communicate efficiently during it. And it's funny that you bring that up, too, but as a non-gamer, wow, that that is a... That's a hurdle. I mean, I jump into something like Dark Souls and I immediately press every button to see what it does. Oh, that's a block. Okay, maybe it has a parry. Sweet, here's a roll. And you immediately, from your experience with video games, can put together this picture of what you kind of should be doing. But a strategy game as your very first video game, that is daunting. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I I have some reasons we could talk about that later, but uh, but I'm 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 hoping maybe you can give me some insight. Um, before we get too far into that, though, I would like to our our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, tell us about yourself. I am a Here's the Storm coach and podcaster. I teach Here's the Storm, kind of like a uh, like your corner store that rents music equipment might also have lessons available. There are the yo-yo ma's of the world, but the scene is so large 
that getting a hold of a pro player is difficult. And because of my bedside manner, perhaps because of my ability to distill this complex pro information that can only be executed by guys who play 12 hours a day down to something you can use at home. I've carved out a living in this particular environment. I, I, I still, maybe it's because of my age. I am still surprised that we have gotten to a point where playing and teaching people how to play video games is uh, a career choice. I, I think it's, it's just such an amazing time that we live in. It is. It's not so alien when you think about like the the weekend soccer group playing across in the park from me right now, and you know the after school programs, and and all those people are paid for their services and their knowledge, and grew up playing that game, became impassioned by it, decided to go into professional or the teaching environment for it, and video games have been around long enough. It's just weird because we don't have weekly or monthly updates to soccer as they come through and say everyone watching gets a loot box today (laughs) that's a very good point very good point um what else what else about uh what you do um on a a day-to-day on a day-to-day hmm i do a lot of analysis i receive my lesson scheduling put together a lot beforehand. So I do probably for every hour I meet with someone in a one-on-one capacity, I'm spending about four hours prepping for that by reviewing certain websites like hot slogs that allow you to see statistics or actually watching their in-game replays, seeing their actual play before I meet them. So I kind of get to know them, what their problem is, what their sort of a uh, league entanglement issues might be mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very cool now um do you have areas of geekitude outside of uh heroes of the storm what what other types of things do you geek out about oh uh, i am a very old man about dungeons and dragons i cannot play online i have to be real life with people in the room with real dice in my hand I mean, that, that is one of those environments where someone would be like, yeah, you know, I, I think that'd be a lot of fun to play Dungeon. I'm like, well, maybe not in my game, sir. This is, <laughs> this is serious business. Cell phones in the bag, please, as you enter my home. You will not see them until this is over. Now, are you, are you, uh, uh do you tend to like the, the DMing aspect of it or are you more, in, do you more enjoy playing? Very much the DM. Uh, I, maybe it's a center of attention kind of thing, but also I just love, <laughs> The stories, the kind of like Heroes in the Storm, the prep work, the practice of putting together a story, planning out the balance of the engagement that people are going to be in, picking out the monsters, picking out the individual interactions that players might have. Oh, that guy was your father. No way. And just that look in people's eyes. I mean, it has to be what Carl Sagan or, you know, uh, David Attenborough quest for Mm -hmm. just that that light that just when you know you hit something about the fantasy that gets someone so into that moment that they just are caught up in it. it there, there's a magic there when you get into pen and paper role-playing games. And even the new Star Wars Edge of the Empire has a great system that can allow for those kind of moments. That's neat. Yeah, where um, I've mentioned uh, on previous shows that I'm in the middle of, of creating an actual play um, that's going to be more kind of noir mystery conspiracy theory kind of stuff and uh and it's been a lot of fun kind of putting together the backgrounds and the stories and it's been a long time since i've uh gm'd anything so i'm really looking forward to that are you using a set system or are you just kind of winging it i 
sort of amusing GURPS just because it's mm. um it's a good uh, general. It, yeah, it's good general. It's got uh, a good way of creating very basic characters but then scaling them up to ridiculous places. And that's kind of how I want the feel of the game to be. I want everybody to start out like normal people and eventually become crazy superpowered god only knows what. So Sure. So I figured that that was kind of, but I, it's so detailed, and I'm going to be playing with a lot of people that this may be their first uh, RPG experience. So I'm, I'm looking at maybe doing kind of just a quick and loose version of the rules, just so that it doesn't kind of weigh down the story. Yeah, home ruled, I think, is the best. The whole, you know, what does your bag weigh? Can you carry that? You know, we call a hammer space here. Like uh, in old Looney Tunes cartoons, that if you want to pull out a sword and it weighs twenty pounds, it's fine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, don't let the don't let the mechanics get in the way of the story. Yeah, very cool. Now, are there areas where um, you feel like you know everybody else is geeking out about this stuff, just not your bag of tea or cup of tea? <laughs> I I've been burned. I've been burned by a lot of hype recently, Joe. What what what, did, what burned you? Uh, well, most recently it was Mass Effect. I got a little too excited. Did you? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it happened in the past with games like Dishonored. You know, there's been a lot of games that have come out. So I feel like I, I wouldn't say anything along the lines of immune to hype because absolutely it, it all, it gets to us all equally. Just some of us choose to be a little more grumpy about it. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But I definitely feel a lot that way about some of the more, when the first time I saw the Avengers movies, I, I love them. They're a lot of fun. I love watching them with my wife, but because she just geeks. I mean, she's punching me in the shoulder. She gets so stoked about these muscle men just throwing each other around. But the first time I saw it and there were aliens in it and everyone was going nuts. I just thought to myself, why was I made fun of in high school? For liking <laughs> Things with aliens. Why is this mainstream all of a sudden? I, I've always uh, been dyslexic. So when it comes to books and comic books, I'm wicked behind. And then when I tried comic books, when I was little, they were extremely episodic mm-hmm. and you didn't know that as a kid. You just walk up, you see the comic book, you think it's the complete story. And maybe they walk down a hallway over the course of what is actually 10 pages with advertisements, making it 20. So I feel like I missed out on a huge part of introductory geek culture. Instead, I was very much the sixth grade into Pokemon and that took me to the magic cards and then up in the strategy games to Starcraft and along that route. Yeah, there's it, it. It's it's kind of the same thing with the. I can't believe people are making money playing video games. It, it's we we have come such a long way. I, I'm a high school teacher, and I have students that know I game and think it's amazing and it's exciting. And hey, you know what's your what's your gamer tags? And they don't get made fun of for gaming. It's very much a popular thing. And I'm kind of like, we we blazed this trail for you. <laughs> we did this for you. <laughs> that that that's true. That must be frustrating a little bit. And I mean, you're happy for them, I'm sure. And that's awesome that they have someone they can relate to. But yeah, it, it's a uh, it was a rite of passage being willing to even bring out those magic cards at the lunch table. Absolutely. And now it's like you know, I take them to. I'm I'm their drama teacher. I'll take them to. Uh, theater festivals and, you know, in between their scenes, they'll like break out the magic cards and, you know, people from other schools are coming over. Oh, what kind of deck you're playing? And I'm like, I, I don't understand what is happening. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, very cool. Now, you, you had mentioned uh, Dungeons & Dragons, that you were, you're very hardcore in that. You're obviously very big into to Heroes of the Storm, but is there is there one area of geekdom that kind of rises to the top and, and is your go-to steadfast, this is my thing? Oh, man. So if, if we have to go deeper than Dungeons & Dragons to more of a theme, what I'm always chasing, it used to be more of a undead kind of zombie kind of thing. But then all the movies started up and everyone got it. There was also mm-hmm. a problem with all my friends becoming gamers over time as they joined World of Warcraft and I had to stop stealing stories from that environment <laughs> for my for my campaigns. Uh but I would say, you know, at the base, the, you know, the deep horror, the Cthulhu, the darkest dungeon games, just something about that mythos and that you know, Andalusian just horror. Just it it speaks to something core in me, and I don't like horror movies, but I love that tension of the unknown, and particularly a beast that is ever evolving and beyond our recognition. So a little bit of uh, the the under the covers reading the 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 scary stories kind of thing. Exactly, and and that is that you know heightened world where everything is more intense and more dangerous but the mundane like almost like uh ancient aliens is a fantastic show mm-hmm. i learn about history that i never knew existed and then i get to hear a bunch of uh well mostly made up stuff about it but you mm-hmm. know i i just love that you know there's a world deeper than this and i feel like in a one-on-one dungeons and dragons kind of environment you can really tap into what people are maybe primarily fearful of or interested and in that sort of dangerous interest. They want to explore to the point where they're going to get themselves in trouble or killed. Whereas when they tried to pull off in movies, particularly Call of Cthulhu or anything from that Lovecraftian horror, it really just falls flat. Yeah, they really haven't done very many good films. I don't know of any that, that kind of explore the Cthulhu mythos. It feels like, I don't know, it's, you, you have, there's, I think we all want the payoff of the big bad at the end. And yeah. I think in a lot of ways, the thing about that is it's not about a big bad at the end. It's about just kind of the slow descent into madness, which is a little hard to present film- cinematically. Well, and there, my favorite movie of all time, you know, used to be a lot of my favorites when I was younger, right? Like uh, Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. which I don't know why I was shown before the age of four and why it was a TV show as a cartoon. It's a scary movie. Yeah. It's pretty intense. Uh, and then, you know, on to Indiana Jones and Star Wars. And, you know, when I was younger, it was Jedi and then evolved into the second one, of course, uh, with Empire Strikes Back. But Aliens, I think, is the perfect horror action movie. And her evolution, Ripley's evolution from, you know, a, a trauma victim of that world into, you know, duct taping a grenade launcher to a machine gun <laughs> is truly what I'm trying to achieve in every single dice game. Nice. Very, very nice. Um, is there anything that um, has not hit the mainstream for you that you think um, people should be investigating and checking out a little bit more? Uh, something that, you know, you don't know why more people don't love it? That's a tough one because... I found through esports the act of watching other people play a video game professionally in a crowd, no less, 
is such an amazing experience and, you know, people can poo-poo soccer or any sort of sport, but then you go with those fans to their arena in a live setting and you can get caught up in it. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to say that for me to say, you know, oh, I think something is underpopular because I I, I just got back from my sister's uh, muscle competition in Seattle yesterday. And there is a whole fan base just based around people flexing on stage. And how insane is that? Yeah. But I, I just can't think of anything as too insane anymore to have a fan base just because I've been in that crowd of esports and I've been able to turn around to the guy behind me that I don't know and go, did you see that? And he's like, oh my God. Yeah. The Zerglings came in and, and ruined the base. It was amazing. And so nothing seems too far anymore for someone to be interested in. It's true. Uh, on that note, like, I went to, I don't have tickets this year, but I went to BlizzCon for the first time last year. And, um, and I, I was enjoying Heroes of the Storm, but I kind of told friends afterwards, I was like, I get sports now. <laughs> Something yeah. that I never really understood about it. I'd go to games when I was in college, you know, I'd, I'd go support the high school team when I was in high school, but, you know, I wasn't really into it. And then it's all like, all of a sudden, well, it's, it's something you can do. It's something you play. It's something that you're familiar with the nuances of. And then you see people who are just really good at doing it. Um, it, it, it makes a big difference and it makes, you know, it makes you excited about what these people are doing. And, uh, I, I've had to really resist the urge because I was always that one like, yay, sports ball and mm-hmm. kind of, Me too. Down, yeah, downplaying other people's, um, you know, sports geekdom. But that's what it is. It's, it's, something that they enjoy and geek out about and so i'm like i've gotta i've gotta not be a geek elitist and pull right. myself back and go no sports ball is is people geeking out about something they love well and i went to college at florida state big sports college and i was there for theater and they're one of the top five theater schools in the u.s at the time but still mm-hmm. you know, it was very easy for us to be like ah we've got this run old rundown theater they were refurbishing the stadium, sports ball. Oh, you know, let's pass the ball. But at the same time, people are probably watching here as the storm and going, oh, get on the pad. Oh, laser shot. What did that mean? Well, why are there axes over Zuljin's head? Who cares? It, it's such a world of information. I'm very interested in the future, not only if, you know, esports can take over high school sports for safety for one, but you know, something like here's the storm, I think teaches excellent teamwork because there are no carries. There is no, there's a quarterback of sort, but he needs everybody else working with him. It's very much a team sport outside of what most video games have been so far, but mm-hmm. you know, also for that evolution down the road, possibly. Yeah. There's been a, a cause I, I coach our, our high schools. Well, coach coach is a loose term. <laughs> I, I, I am the, the teacher that signs his name on the club for esports, And, um, and they're very much into league of legends. And because I don't have a lot of experience with that game. Um, when I bring up heroes of the storm, they kind of, there, there is, you, you can tell that a lot of them don't play Heroes of the Storm because they can't be the one guy that shines like they can in League. And it's tempting. And it's uh, unless you're on a team, when you join those sort of League or Dota games, it's a gamble. And it's mm-hmm. intoxicating. It's a lot like Hearthstone and late game decks where, yeah, you'll probably lose 9 out of 10 games. But that one game you get to summon Cthulhu where it destroys their face instantly and it's turn a billion that's what they're all striving for. Right, right. 
So yeah, I think that's a very interesting thing. I, I would like them to get into stuff that's more like Heroes of the Storm because it is a little bit more cooperative and you do need all the people kind of on the same page and working together. And, and my particular school really focuses on um, project-based learning and we put them in groups every semester and they have to work with those people whether they like them or not. And and so it's... Um, you know, I feel like it's it's teaching the skills that we're trying to teach in the, the regular classroom. So, I'd be very interested to hear if you end up, you know, succeeding in that rollover. Right now, we have the you know try hard for good competition going on, or, or I guess a charity event for Heroes mm-hmm. of the Storm, where League of Legends players with millions and millions of followers have for two weeks joined up to play Heroes of the Storm in front of their audience, and it's been very interesting to watch that. That transformation from what is this? Oh, the tribalism, the anger that immediately comes when things are different and not understood to I can kind of see how someone would be into this. It's not the game for me. And now after, you know, even seven days so far, you're starting to see an even bigger switch over. Yeah, I think that's really when when I heard that they were doing that, because I think the last time I heard of it was uh, when I was listening to Into the Nexus. Um, it, it seems like a brilliant way of of doing things because it it is kind of forcing people to reevaluate the game and i i think it's a brilliant marketing move on on blizzard's end because it it's everybody knows that league is kind of the moba right now and to to try and highlight your own game in this way i i thought it was a brilliant move it's it's uh devilish but i love it yeah yeah so uh, what are you doing with, um, we've mentioned it a couple times now, you've got Into the Nexus and you've got uh, Solo Q&A. Uh, tell us a little bit about those and, and then what's going on in them. Yeah, Into the Nexus is my main show every Thursday night, 5 p.m., live over at twitch.tv slash amovetv, a podcast, so there to digest. And I, and certainly you know, when I enjoy podcasts, it's on the move. I don't watch them at home because I'm saving them for some commute or something like that. Mm-hmm. That show is kind of what everything works towards over the course of the week. With Garrett, uh, he is an awesome host and brings that sort of casual energy that is needed in order to help someone like me who lives in this environment actually kind of translate that information. I've gone a little too deep at times. (laughs) And you have to sort of be brought back into the same world, a, a world without all that knowledge in order to break it down. Well, you guys do a very good job of it because I am by no means a a pro player. I am I am a definitely a casual player, and uh, and I, I very much enjoy kind of both sides of it. And one of the things I enjoy the most about your guys' show and and your approach specifically is you very much do what we kind of like to promote on this show, which is try and keep the community kind. Mm. Um. Even even if it's with I think I forget how Garrett puts it, but you're kind of social engineering the, the, the people around you. Yeah. Um, because it's true. You know, I know as soon as somebody starts um, bad mouthing each other in a game, I play mostly quick match. Um, as soon as they start bad mouthing each other, it's like this is it. We're done. Yeah, and particularly in you know lower leagues where there's not the knowledge base to combat that aggression or that depression some of these people are feeling, it's gonna snowball. Mm-hmm. And so over the course of my week, it's solo Q&A became another show that's still here at the storm gameplay outside the radio show, a stream that I do uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Saturday 
to gather that information, either by having guests of my own on the show, whether they're pro, pro players, whether they're analysis, whether it's casters, people around the community to increase my knowledge or actually doing the execution of playing the game in front of people and showing them what that looks like. It's all well and good to talk big and heady strategy, but how does one person in a team of five people all by themselves enact that strategy on people who may not know it or get them to feel exactly like you said, social engineering, get them to feel motivated or how to get the best out of them without telling them what to do is probably the most important lesson I've learned. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's, it's hard. I mean, I, I have gotten to starting every game, you know, good luck and have fun just to set that tone of people talking and, and getting people to communicate. And as soon as somebody starts kind of ripping on each other, you know, keep the positive guys and, you know, but that can only go so far. Yeah. And they're bringing their own baggage and we can't stop that from happening. Most recently in the 2.0 patch that they put out, they gave us emojis, mm -hmm. which I think are huge in social engineering. The, the fact that I got yelled at by an angry Valera the other day, but they included an angry Valera face just took all the edge off. <laughs> and it, it's even more interesting because we're all part of this sort of community of the internet on top of our own communities. And I think that's very much sort of enhanced by Reddit as it brings so many communities into a central place. And then we all sort of absorb other communities, languages and mm -hmm. speaking styles that we've all sort of homogenized how we talk in video games. And a lot of it comes off extremely aggressive when it's usually not 90% of the time, particularly if it's like a Twitch chat, someone can say something that just looks horrible, but actually is a completely casual, innocent question. Yeah, we really, really do need that uh, sarcasm font. That would be very, very yes. helpful. <laughs> yeah, some people have kind of pulled it off, but starting a sentence with so in text is really rough to read. And yeah. if doing it in person, you can be like, so, and saying it like that suddenly makes it this classifier you're saying equals basically you're about to sum up your previous statement but you start your statement on the internet like that and, and i am eating like whoa whoa no oh my god the ego coming through yeah yeah it's we, we live in we live in crazy times if you're a gamer or you're a geek at, a, at in any way shape or form we we live in crazy times I, I think it got even more difficult too with things like twitch as we you know almost everyone who's taken over a community spot as a in the gaming world is previously a big fish from a little pond. We probably all grew up being the best in some way, whether it was, you know, I was the kid that was kicked off of Super Smash Bros because I won too many times and I wasn't going to lose. So right. they had to cycle me out at the party. And that was such an achievement and so much of who I was in that world. And then you join the online culture in 2005 or so and all of a sudden you start to realize as games get connectivity that you're not that good anymore. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how much of this is a pushback of people trying to find their place as they move from that small pond to the Internet ocean. Right. Especially when you're when you're coming from a place of this is my thing and I identify myself so, so greatly by this that when that gets challenged, uh, dander does tend to to go up.
Yeah, and it, it's an important thing to be able to say. And when you meet other nerds and you're just kind of hanging out, one of the first questions asked is, what's your game? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What would you throw down in if we were to, you know, display our skills today? Yeah, when, when asked to choose your weapon, which one exactly. is it? <laughs> very cool. Well, thank you very much for, for letting us get to know you a little bit better. Um, we're going to transition into our weekly geekery where we talk about what we specifically geeked out about this week. Um, I finally bit the bullet and uh, bought the Nintendo Switch. Oh, how is it? Um, I'm enjoying it. I haven't had a whole lot of time to kind of get into the nitty gritty of it. I only have, um, uh, Zelda on there and, uh, I have, um, snipper clips, which I'm hoping to, uh, to entice my husband over to, uh, <laughs> to play some, some games. Um, so those are the two that I've had, but I, I love the graphics. I, I haven't console gamed in a very long time. And so it, it's a little bit of a learning curve for me, having the two, dual, you know, the dual joysticks, and the, it's just, you know, I've been, I've been a PC gamer for a very, very long time. So, um, I'm, I'm enjoying the learning curve because I'm just kind of taking it at my own pace. So that's, it's kind of where I'm at as far as the whole Nintendo Switch goes. It's interesting how, particularly my sort of age demographic, you know, turning 30 is really looking to console games right now to get away from the computer. Mm-hmm. And we all really want to game more. And all, you know, at work, all we dream about is getting home and finally getting to that game. And then you get there and you realize, I can't sit in this computer chair for another darn minute. I'm going to go insane. Right. And for me, I've been very, doing very much the same thing. I'm completely console free almost at this point, but. I had to get myself a Steam controller just so I could get out of this chair onto the couch for my Dark Souls. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it is it is a little bit uh, almost impress, uh, oppressive after a while, you know. And um, I, I remember we, we just finished a huge remodel at my house and, and redid kind of the kitchen living area. And so we have this really comfortable couch now like looking at a TV and I'm like, I, I don't have any reason to be in here. I don't have any, unless we're eating dinner or hanging out together. If I want to partake in my hobbies, I, I've got one place I can do it. And so it is kind of nice that not only do I have a console that I can go and sit there with, but it can like, I had to stay late to, to see a, a presentation at my school this week. And I'm like, well, I'm taking my, I'm taking the switch. That's right. You can do that. <laughs> yeah. I got three hours to kill. I'm just gonna, <laughs> gonna chill there and play a little bit of Zelda. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think, I think a good decision for, for my, my time in gaming right now. I'm interested to see if the one, if they can fix the, the motion sickness that comes with actual motion controls and uh, headsets, mm-hmm. but if they can make that transition, you know, is that what we need for esports to make it big? Is the it, sure they're playing football together? They're professionals. They practice, but also they have the physique to go with it. Right? Is, is that the dividing factor that stops people from looking at you know a, ten people on a stage and going, oh, they're just a bunch of kids clicking buttons? Yeah. Do do, do we need kind of the the celebrity aspect of the of the esports? You know, people that they. I I think that's one of the things. It's like I know some of the professional gamers out there, but they aren't icons. They aren't celebrities. They aren't putting themselves out there in a way that you know they're not getting really endorsements that the mainstream are going to see. I think that's a little bit of what what maybe some of the mainstream is hoping for. 
Yeah, and is it, you know, that they don't achieve a level that is fantastical enough mm-hmm. to, you know, the average goer? I mean, when you see Thor on screen, he's not only pretending to be Thor and dressed like Thor, he literally has a physique that is unachievable by most, right. whether it's from, you know, actual, you know, injury or something going on there or just time that it takes to put in to get a body like that. I mean, I'm five months deep into heavy workouts now, and that has hugely affected my gaming performance and how much energy I might have at the end of the night. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I think a lot of it for the esports in particular is is a little bit what we were saying earlier is like when you and I were in PE in high school, we had to play football. So we know how to we we know the basics of football. You know, we 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 have played it. We may not dive into it as deeply as we do our video games, but we've got a a experience with that. Where people like my husband, they don't have a gaming experience. So there isn't necessarily that familiarity to hook them in. Yeah, and you wonder if game and esports games like Rocket League took off because it is understandable. It's one ball, there's a goal, and cars as as wacky as that is battle it out to get in the goal. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 soccer, but it's with cars, you know. So yeah. Um, the other thing that I've been kind of geeking out about this week is um, uh, I have a very long commute, so I listen to a lot of podcasts, and uh, I've been listening to a actual play podcast called one shot and what i like about this particular podcast is it's not like some of the other shows out there like the adventure zone which i love um where it's you know this long drawn out campaign that goes on and on and on it's maybe every adventure is five episodes and then the gm switches to a different system and a different game and different group of players and they try a different storytelling game or you know the like right now i'm listening to an episode where they're doing fiasco um there is a an episode in there where they play a game called dread which is you know uses jenga a jenga tower yeah as just kind of a way to kind of get the the idea of a horror story going and so it's kind of neat because it's low investment i can kind of listen to an arc over a couple of car rides and it's introducing me to all these different games that I wasn't aware of, or at least even if I heard of them, I didn't really know how they worked. So it's it's kind of fun. And with that, he has a, a companion podcast that kind of talks about the GMing side of um, what he does, and he uses the games on the main podcast as examples of how to you know deal with a difficult player or make sure that your campaign's hitting all the things it needs to to make your players happy and it's kind of a it's a nice one two punch as far as uh that kind of stuff goes this is a multitude of times that this has been suggested now to me so you finally put me over the edge i'm gonna have to listen to one shot it it was recommended to me by my buddy ben who does a lot of art for edge of the empire so i already knew it was good because he's so invested in that environment mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just hadn't heard that one more time that makes you go all right here we go it, it, yeah. it's tough i i really like that they've been willing to cut their content down to that level it, it's near impossible to get into a lot of shows because the inside jokes are rolling so high at right. that point 
Right, and and it, and it is narrative, so it's like if you've missed the first, you know, 50 episodes, it's unless you're gonna invest in actually going and catching up, you can't just jump in. Where this one, I was I was mentioning to a friend of mine, it's like I'm not digging one of these episodes. I don't feel bad about skipping it and yeah. going on to the next one. So, so how about you? What have you been geeking out about? Uh, recently, it has been, as I've sort of mentioned, Dark Souls has been my as funny as it is to some to hear, relaxing game of the evening. I want to get away from the computer. I don't want real-time strategy. And I'm still recovering from Darkest Dungeon. I love that game so much. Mm-hmm. And it lasts me such a long time with that grind to get to the end. But it was like finishing a great novel. It left me empty for a solid month. And I've sort of filled that void with Dark Souls as it kind of fulfills that you know, what's around the corner? Ooh, what is that beast? What does it does? A thing for me. That's and, awesome. And I've been racing my wife to a horrible success. She's completely destroying me in this game. She's way better at dodging. I'm very <laughs> much, I'm very tanky. I want to go in sword and board, survive for as long as I can, gather all the information. But her aggressive play style of roll in the crotch and hit it as many times as possible is extremely successful. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I haven't I haven't had a lot of experience with Dark Souls, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. But I've also heard that it's it's it, and it's funny because I've heard it's very complicated. So for you to say that it's you're relaxing, <laughs> it says a lot. And it very much, you know, if, by playing all these games, by playing games not like it, but well enough. I mean, uh, God of War had a block mechanic that mm-hmm. you just had to have up at certain times. Uh, Things like Prince of Persia taught you how to roll dodge. And while people like to talk up, and I think it is for that sort of, ooh, you know, you couldn't even handle this game kind of aspect of it, it's not that different from other things you've played. In fact, it's probably clunkier and Mm -hmm, more mm -hmm. basic than the majority of, you know, Force Unleashed or (laughs) there was that Dante's game, too, that Mm -hmm. came out in that same vein. Other than that, a little bit of Hearthstone here and there, and it's it's a Heroes of the Storm household. Nice. Nice. Well, very cool. Sounds like it's been a fun, geeky week for both of us. Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break before we jump into our, our favorite game at this point, I think, uh, Heroes of the Storm. We'll be right back. like video games? Do you like music? Do you like video game music? Then join the Washington Metropolitan Gamers Symphony Orchestra on Twitch. Each week we feature a game the orchestra has performed music from. Our arranger guests will chat about their process, their inspirations, and why game music is so awesome. Check us out every Sunday from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. at twitch.tv slash WMGSO. Comics. Hey everyone, this is Rob, your friendly neighborhood comic geek. And this is Liam, the the languishing, lascivious Liam of Langley. Wow, that was extremely illiterate of you. Well, I try. We are the hosts of The Comic Box, part of the geek to geek podcast network. So, join us. Bop, bop. Oh, yeah. 
All right. Well, we're back, and we're going to talk about what is my favorite game right now, uh, Heroes of the Storm. Uh, it is a. They they finally officially started calling it a MOBA, correct? They did. Yes. yes they gave okay. up. And uh, that's multi uh, online battle arena. Yes. Yeah, multiplayer. It, exactly. It, it was made up by the community, and it seems a little too complicated, almost corporate, for mm. a community to come up with it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but it it kind of uh, follows. Dota, which was kind of the inspiration for this, right? Yeah, Warcraft 3. Uh, it was one of the first, and I'm not entirely sure on that, but could have been the first heavy strategy game that saw competitive play where your hero could collect items and level up outside the rest of your units. And through the campaign, people played these heroes and they would keep their levels and their items to each level, you'd still have to redo, you know, your troll axe throwers and get them upgraded and rebuild all your buildings. But the hero itself maintained the XP it got in previous levels. And people basically said, wow, this is the best part of the game, controlling the hero. This whole creating units thing and battling them. Let's have the computer do that part. And so they made a map where two teams each side, the computer would create all the bogus units, the, you know, the minions, and they would fight in the middle while these heroes ran around it, completing their builds, buying up items, and eventually, with only six slots available in that old Warcraft system, they had to build combinable items. So you would buy three items, that turned into one, so it wouldn't occupy, occupy your entire inventory. And that evolved into Dota, and League of Legends made their own version of it outside of the Warcraft 3 engine. Uh, actually, Valve came to Blizzard and said, hey, we want to build Dota as an outside game, and... Blizzard was working on World of Warcraft, the StarCraft remake at the same time, and said, uh, we can't do that. It's all yours. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Several years later, StarCraft comes out. They realize how powerful their engine is to make unique custom games. They look at Dota, and they basically said, we think we can do this. We can do it better. And I think one of the things that draws me to it, I think out of all of the games that they put out, I'm, I'm not as big of a StarCraft player i don't have the experience with that but it's it's fun to see all of those um characters that you love from all the blizzard games that we've played for so long kind of in the same world and and being able to interact and and it's just kind of a i don't know pulls on the nostalgia strings a little bit it does it's that super smash bros quality and that excitement the literal hype of hoping for your main character that you love so much to enter the game. And I think oh, there's also that hidden hope that we all have of maybe that next character will be that one that just clicks so hard for me. I'm going to hit that grand master. Absolutely. What is the, what is the, cause I know you, you tend to not know so much jump around, but, but you, you have your character that you're, you're a big fan of for a while. And then you, you go where the meta tends to take you. And last I heard, you were playing a lot of um, uh, Nazebo. Is uh, is that still who you're kind of maining right now, or do you have uh, have you moved on to somebody else? He is still my current carry favorite in the terms of you know carrying in Heroes of the Storm. He contributes a lot. He's highly telegraphed. There's going to be a circle on the ground that'll then turn into the circle of zombies trapping people inside of it, and that gives four other players that aren't on communications with you, 
time to say, oh, look at that. Something's going to happen there and then react to it. Or you make a big summon. Your gargantuan comes out and that lasts for 20 seconds. And so everyone in the area gets to say, cool, this is the zone we're going to fight in for 20 seconds. But sadly, on the Nazebo front, and I do feel like such a uh, a fickle man in in my league because I have to compete with the changing metas and as characters move in and out or a new character comes in, certain characters can lose their power or they're just straight up nerfed by blizzard. And I have to move on to maintain a win rate, despite my love of Tychus or whoever I've been into for a long time. So the metas changed again. I talked about a little bit this past week, but with the new map rotation, they have 13 maps in the game. They cut it down to six for 2.0 and a good majority of them are two lane maps, which means Nazebo won't hit that late game power spike that's so powerful for him. And I got to take other avenues. So who did you end up or who are you tending to go with? Who's who seems to be the one you're, you're gravitating to right now? A new is doing really well at the moment. And I'm looking at Lunara, possibly. It's, it's like car shopping. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to make sure that, one, it's going to get you to your work, that it'll do what it needs to do, that there's enough trunk space if you have to actually carry all that home. But you also got to make sure it's not so flashy that your friends will all hate you. Right. <laughs> so Lenar is in that weird place where, you know, she's this this dear lady, a dryad. She has low mobility. She tilts some people just by picking her because they don't see her in a lot of successful comps. So right now I'm sticking to more visible classics like perhaps kale Thos or falstad mm-hmm. well i i had mentioned at the top of the show that that one of the things i was hoping to accomplish today was figuring out how to get my non-gamer husband to understand uh <laughs> heroes of the storm and my, my my thought as far as as why why start him with a moba is i figured i could chogall Mm. And give him an opportunity to not have to handle all the controls that I could Ooh. take some of that burden from him. And unfortunately, I missed the the cutoff of the free Chogall. Oh no! <laughs> by like a week, and so I went in with the with him, and I was like, okay, well, let's just try it before we go and buy you a character. Let's let's just try and see what we've got. We got you, Rainer. Probably a good beginner one, and and that's when I realized that the the language barrier of a MOBA to a non gamer is huge, <laughs> is huge, and um you know just you know press the button, click on the guy, what guy, okay, <laughs> the guy with the red, any of the guys with the red bars are well I'm dead, <laughs> okay well let's try this again, click the button or press the button, click on the guy. Okay, I'm dead again. And then, you know, finally he gets the click. Okay, but you didn't press the button. So we're, we're starting at like toddler level steps here. And I, I think next time we sit down and we're going to try this. And to his, to his credit, he was being very patient because you can tell when, when you're teaching somebody something that they're getting frustrated. Mm. And I'm trying not to be that person that ruins their significant other's first gaming experience. I feel there's a little bit of pressure there. Uh, so yeah. Next time we definitely will go in with Chogall so that I can take at least the movement burden off of him. Heroes is very much one of those games where 
they got to have the interest there. You have to somehow spark it mm-hmm. to get them going. But once they're going, you leave. You don't, you don't touch them. You don't talk to them. You don't ask them how it went. It's just, it's all about them having to explore that because ultimately, at the end of the day, it's going to be knowing every single hero in the game. Mm-hmm. And as that ninja man runs towards you, what can he do? What is he capable of? At level 10, suddenly he's capable of new things. And Heroes of the Storm, he's capable of two new things. Which one did he take? How does that change the battlefield? Is this character I'm on actually doing their job by doing X? And finding that identification of what a hero does best so you don't spend the map confused or doing the wrong thing. Or if somebody rages at you, you have to have the knowledge base to defend your ego there and counter that. Otherwise, you're going to be like, oh, I guess they're right. I suck. Oh, man, <laughs> I'm never playing this game again. Yeah, one of the things I've learned from from listening to your shows that that I try and implement anytime I'm I'm playing is the know what your character is supposed to do, because every character is built differently, and um, you know when I want to just go into quick match and and not think, I always jump on Zul because I really know how that character works. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I love that. I love that, and so. Um, when I'm on playing Zul, I, I, even if I know everybody else is making bad decisions and I'll jump into the, the poorly chosen, um, team fights because, you know, I've also learned from your guys show that, you know, it's better to, to go with a, a decision that is poor one than to, you know, abandon them when they're all charging ahead. And, uh, but, but I feel like I, I, it empowers me to say, okay, my character's supposed to do this. If I'm doing that, I'm not going to be the one getting held at, and I'm um, I'm hopefully progressing and making up for the shortcomings of of players who aren't necessarily working with the team. And so I guess that's what I'm going to need to start doing once he gets the basics down is just taking a character at a time and going, all right, this is what you're doing. I mean, the funnest thing as someone teaching a brand new player a game like this is to kind of dungeon master it and be who are you? What do you personally love? And is there a superhero archetype that maybe speaks to you most constantly, particularly if you have people joining games late, like here's the storm even now, or joining a Dungeons and Dragons campaign or world of Warcraft, all the friends kind of gather around. They're like, Oh man, wouldn't it be sweet if they were a feral druid? Yeah. Let's see if we can get them to heal us. That'd be awesome. I I want support. I want a tank. Mm -hmm. And that's great, and it's great to have that nice, even Dungeons Dragons group that can complete the hardest bosses, but at the same time, they have to be impassioned about it. So digging in and seeing what it is that can make them tick is hugely rewarding, and then they're often going to love the game more. Like, for me, being a tall guy at 6'4", Skeleton King, the way he moves, the way he walks, the way he swings that giant mace... The fear, the ghost, the skeleton, like everything about it was just me. And I was totally on board when he came out. So is there a hero like that that you found for him? No, we've, we've only played the once and I think he immediately gravitated. Well, he wanted, um, he, he liked, you know, he, he's a big researcher. So he did some research and he liked Probius and Murky. Oh my. <laughs> yes. And he, mostly because they seemed cute. So, oh, okay. Well, fair um, enough. Yeah, and they I are. was like, 
Yeah, they are. And so I'm like, I, I, I have a little bit of experience with Murky. I have um, no experience with Probius. I think I've played him once or twice. Um, but I think he was going for kind of the more look. But, you know, having just started him out, not wanting to overwhelm him with choices, I'm like, well, let's see what's available. And I think he picked Thrall. Okay. Which, you know, I don't have as much experience with because he's big into weather, and so he saw lightning, and he's like, "All right, well, this is this that's is fantastic." A, yeah, so that's I think where his thought process was going when we brought him back to um, Rainer, just because I felt like it was one less button for him to have to figure out. Um, he he seemed to then he started focusing on the the movement and the figuring how to push and click and 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 I I think I think we really do need to choke all it a little bit. Before, before he's ready to kind of strike out on his own. But he's even talked about I, I'm going to have to just sit at this when you're not home and just feel like I can play and figure it out. Yeah, make those mistakes, learn on your own. It's a, it's a game that very much requires that while being a team game. I I found a lot of players for new players have really enjoyed Merkers, people who can go take those mercenary camps and feel the impact that they as an individual have on the map there. Yeah, it makes sense because you want to be you want to feel like you're contributing somehow. And if you're worried about dying in team fights or you know, you're not quite sure where to go or what to do, at the very least you know if there's a flag on the map, you can go contribute to what your team is doing. And there's also supports which aren't a bad way to get into the game because you are 100% reactionary now everything around you you will get to witness some degree of advanced play and i do still wish that the game had now it certainly does with a lot of returning players have looser matchmaking but it's really important for players to have that sort of old warcraft 3 dota experience of loading up and just getting schooled by some guy just so you walk away going damn i want to be like him right how how did that kerrigan even pull that off they're amazing yeah, the and, number of times I've played with or played against a character that I haven't haven't used in a while and been like, okay, I'm going to go play Greymane for like a week because that that dude was really good. Yeah. Um as far as getting away from from the brand new to all games gamer and back to somebody who is um, you know, an experienced gamer but but just starting to get into um MOBAs and this is kind of their new thing and they're curious where where does that next step go so after you sort of advanced out of just finding a character you've now got some mechanical skill on them you can execute uh, but you're probably in a range where you're still picking about the same character every game right the real next step is to take yourself into that unranked draft mode and start making sure you're not instantly countered and that's going to happen in quick match. There's going to be comps that come together where you, know, you absolutely have a chance. Every single match has a chance. Take those weird talents that give you bonus healing because you have no support. Or take that bizarre damage reduction on the squishiest assassin suddenly because you have no tank. And I have not ventured into um, unranked draft yet because it terrifies me. <laughs> like, it just terrifies me. I feel like when I'm thrown in with everybody else... You know, it's just kind of the luck of the draw, and it's what it is. I feel like as soon as you go into the 
well, what if I have to play something that I'm not as good at? Or what if I'm not comfortable with what they pick? And I, I listen to you guys talk about drafting and how you just kind of have to, again, socially engineer yourself <laughs> into the places you're comfortable. But um, is there any advice for somebody like me who's like, I am not ready to take that next step because it's terrifying? Well, you first brought up that you play a lot of Zool. So my next reaction would be, okay, very limited. What mm-hmm. what do we have on that roster, and is it enough to fill all those aspects? Is it impactful enough too? So so oh, so you're asking what what other types of characters? Right. So here's an example uh, with Vala Zuljin, two characters that are very much based on auto attacking, putting out their basic normal lower damage, high damage for them because it's their whole thing auto attacks. Mm-hmm. Vala is more impactful than Zul because Vala has a vault, which allows her to close the distance, move at great speed for a short amount of time, and execute someone who may be getting away, whereas Zuljin requires things to be done for him. He needs a boost from someone else. He has no movement, so he has to walk everywhere he wants to go to kill people. You got to make sure that if you're going to play Zuljin instead of Vala, that you have enough CC, crowd control, stuns things that'll clog up the front line so they can't run away, or you're on a team with someone like Lucio, who gives you a speed boost and allows you to actually pursue there. So when you get into drafting, you're probably leading with Vala in that thought process. Vala is a very popular hero because of her execution. She is likely to be banned or taken. And so you have this background of Zul, but you have to understand all those nuances as to why you took him, not only for your comp, but then how that interacts with the map, too. If you're defending a single point, Zul'jin's kind of bunkered down. People have to force themselves into him now. That defensive position's really powerful for him, whereas Vala is made of paper. She's squishy. And if people force themselves her direction, she's going to have a very bad time and have to run away with that increased speed instead. So really, there 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 is a lot to consider, and and so being intimidated by draft is not <laughs> is not unreasonable. <laughs> right. I mean that is, that is two heroes that I've brought up that fill a similar role, and I haven't even interacted with the map yet or the enemy comp. I'm only thinking about my own at the moment, which is really all you can do. So ultimately, making that transition from quick match unranked comes when you feel like your roster is diverse enough to handle the multitude of picks and that sweet spot is when you feel you finally start to discover which heroes are working on which map if you start to feel like you're picking that zool who's different than zool jin uh if you're picking that zool and you end up on sky temple and you kind of go ah oh, sky temple this doesn't work well great now now you're starting to move towards that thought process that's going to make you draftable. Okay, that makes me feel better because I, when I see, when I am playing my Zool and Sky Temple comes up and I'm like, uh, you know, I wish this was, you know, Tomb of the Spider Queen. Instead, it makes me feel, um, you know, that it makes me feel like I'm heading in the right direction. <laughs> right, but then you see Infernal Shrines and you're like, yes, I can split soak here, I can double push, I can do all these things. And so when that draft screen pops up, you'll immediately click Zool and show everybody that that's your business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because okay. of your, you know, your proclamation, you got on the mountain and you hollered, I am the specialist today. Most people will make room for you because we're just going to assume you're good because you made such a proclamation. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. All right. 
And then, so we're not leaving any of my, my, um, my listeners out who may actually have experience in this game and be, be more, um, more advanced. Where, where do you suggest people take the next step after that? We're, we're starting to draft. We're starting to, um, feel like our unranked play is good. When do you start making the leap into, uh, Hero League? That's a difficult one and often is going to come with a sense of, I'm ready for points. That you, <laughs> that unranked is starting to feel like, you know, practice time. That maybe your victories have been so numerous that you might as well be getting some sort of reward for them because there's an end of season reward for playing in that ranked environment. Or you become frustrated with not the lack of seriousness, because unranked games are very good. They're just off picks often. Mm-hmm. And we wanted an Anubarak, but we got a Tyrael. And there's nothing wrong with that in an unranked environment. But to go into that place where points matter and people are seeing themselves go up and down in very dramatic fashion. I mean, Blizzard has done a great job triggering the little parts of our lizard's brain that get very defensive about numbers scrolling on the screen. Mm -hmm. But when you start to feel that you're good at that Vala over that Zul'jin, but you're prepared in that way, and you'd like a real tank or a real support and not some guy who's just going to first pick Murky because there's nothing wrong with that unranked. And I love, that's why I love going there, is I want to see those weird comps and have those fantastic, wacky games. It's a lot to think about. Like it's a lot to think about, but I think it's it's fun that um that there's this game out there that has so many levels for so many different people. Um it's it's very much a Blizzard game. There's people in Warcraft who, you know, I'm going to craft all day and that's what I want to do, and then there's the hardcore raiders and you know, they're all enjoying the game in their own way. And uh, it sounds like uh, they've they've hit that with heroes as well. So yeah, I know a lot of people who just play AI all day because they just want to take a little break from World of Warcraft and play as little bit, and they mm-hmm, enjoy mm-hmm. that. And that and just living that fantasy even against other computers is fantastic. I remember back in the day, I didn't play really any actual multiplayer. Granted, I would have taken the phone line in StarCraft Brood War days, <laughs> uh, but I would go through and set myself as Zerg, one Protoss, and six Terrans, so I could feel like I was invading Earth. And yes. it, it just, it, I found that enjoyable. And <laughs> that's perfectly fine. So I am curious, so you got your Zool. What uh-huh. would be the next things, and the next sort of, what's your core three there? Um, I'd say my core three are probably Zul, Greymane, and, um, I'm trying to think of, I'm actually, I actually, um, do pretty okay with Valera. Okay, excellent. So that's, that's kind of interesting. You have a really good lane clear presence with your first two, your Zul and your Greymane. Mm-hmm. So you can very much fulfill that same sort of role. What you're looking at ultimately with Zul is going to be Enough lanes to actually clear so you can have skeletons to spawn. So right. you're, so either the lanes are too distant on Sky Temple or the objective is fought outside of the lane, meaning you're not spawning any skeletons in the first place. So things get a little weird there. With, yeah, th- and that's always, that's always a struggle. I like, that's when, when I hit maps where I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be doing very little. Uh, on quick match. Those, those are frustrating. I still, I still find a way to make them work, but I know I'm not contributing as much as I could. 
And when you get into that drafted environment, really the level you're looking for with Zool over, let's say, Greymane, because they're both going to clear lanes at fantastic speed, and Greymane is more likely to contribute higher damage to the team fights, killing the enemy team, meaning you're more likely to win the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With Zool, you make that simple connection of, I make people hold still. Mm-hmm. And is there anyone on this team like a Chromie that is going to really, really like people being held still for... 1.5 seconds. <laughs> this, I gotta say, this, the, the part of this conversation that, that is making me the happiest is the fact that you're mentioning things and I'm going, oh good, I do that. Awesome. <laughs> because, because when I see Chromie come up in, on my team, I'm like, oh good. <laughs> I have somebody who's gonna use me. <laughs> this is good. Well, that's great. And you're looking for a very similar thing with Greymane, but you have semi-mobility. So instead of, you know, whereas we'd want Azul and a Chromie together, we can do a Greymane and a Jaina of sorts, because he's got a dive, he's got his swipe, which carries him a distance, so as long as they're slowed, you'll keep on him for the entirety of the fight. Mm-hmm. And just making that small connection, just finding one friend in the draft, outside of who your support is, which gets complicated. I mean, does Greymane... Greymane has about medium health, so you're going to want a decent amount of healing, but not as much as what Vala wanted. But then you can go Brightwing with Zul'jin because he can heal himself. So that's where things start to get... And then the type of tanking and the type of support. Just find that one friend in the draft that you know at least you two work well together. And when it comes to Valera, that that is very much a skill-based ex- execution because you're so often doing things by yourself. Mm-hmm. Getting that backline, ideally, particularly in lower leagues, but... In a draft environment where 5v5 people agreed to go against each other with a described comp, you'll be working as the bruiser, in fact. You'll be kind of haunting the main tank on your team, following him around, and as that Arthas makes a grab on a guy, you're going to follow that up right behind him. Or if, let's say, for instance, Arthas is too busy dealing with the enemy side and Butcher runs past him, and starts wailing on your backline, it would be Valera's job to go apply her stun to the butcher in the back and stop that business from happening. So many things to think about. Right. It's a very complex game. <laughs> and here we're making broad assumptions that you didn't have a, a double tank comp or a bruiser or a second support. It, it, it just, it all constantly compounds on itself. And that's what I love about the Into Nexus strategy sections is we do have that con- that caveat of it depends now let's just take a single piece and discuss it. Yeah, and then and I and I gotta say I find it so helpful. Like the number of times that I've been like, oh, okay, it's because I don't get to play as much as I'd like to. It's it's getting a little bit of that knowledge without having to learn it through trial and error. And it is I I highly recommend anybody who's interested in in learning about Heroes of the Storm and how to play and how to be good at it. Um, to definitely check out uh, Kyle's shows because they are very informative and they break it down in a way that if if you have an, a decent idea of how the game works, I mean I think even this podcast is going to go over some people's heads because um, we're we're talking from two people who play the game. So if you've never played the game, it's going to be uh, a little bit of gobbledygook sure. as far as terminology goes. But if you have a little bit of knowledge and you want to increase how well you play, check out Into the Nexus and check out Solo Q&A because you, you do get so much um, so much information that is immediately 
applicable and and it's very very helpful i've i've i feel like i've become a better gamer because of it that's fantastic thank you for saying so and i'm glad i mean that's very much the goal and i am you know from dungeons and dragons i'm a very passionate person i want you to play what you're passionate about i want you to pretend to be that bugbear because you wanted to be and i have those barriers i see something like skeleton king and i go wow that's me in game. I'm, I want to be that every day. And I need that, those hard facts. I need someone to say, Genji Zarya. Well, what a fantastic combo. Everything works at 35% win rate. What? And those stats have to counter my passions. Mm-hmm. And I think as gamers, we all want to live the fantasies, but we also respect the math, particularly if we're old World of Warcraft gamers. Yes. Yeah. You have to know what gems to put in what slots. Otherwise, they're going to ask you why you're in that raid. And and it matters. And it's always just amazing how upping your crit by 5% can just completely change your execution. Because now you're triggering this and that and that bonus damage and things you thought were lame suddenly become extremely important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Kyle, for for coming on the the show and, and imparting us with your knowledge, and uh, I th- hopefully getting people excited about checking this game out. You know, it's free to play, guys. This is the time to come in because we even haven't even really talked about Heroes 2.0 and the fact that you can get 20 free heroes right now. And you know, this is really kind of the best time to to be in this game. And so, uh, so thank you for for sitting down and breaking it down for us. Absolutely, Joe, and thank you for having me on your show to talk about this game and and spread its love and hopefully get more people involved in it. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you have any shout-outs this week? Uh, This week, I'm going to be getting back to replay analysis. So if you're looking to get a very base level of execution, look at some beginner play for Heroes of the Storm, Tuesday, 2 p.m. Pacific, Twitch.tv slash Kyle Ferguson, two S's in Ferguson. I'm going to be watching a bunch of bronze replays and going over them and what they can do in those moments. Not this heady like, oh, your draft went bad or you picked the wrong hero. Like just actually in the moment what their execution and mechanical play is. So I think that'd be a great starting place for a lot of new players. If you've already spent the time to, you know, find your enjoyment in it in the first place. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I may, may, uh, set my, uh, my husband's, uh, browser window in that direction <laughs> and say, hey, check, check this out. Cause I think, you know, one of the, one of the draws for me was, you know, I will sit on a Saturday morning and watch, um, esports and, you know, he'll come sit down next to me. And it's kind of nice to be able to talk about what you're watching and, and have them root alongside you. And so, yeah, send him your way. <laughs> well, and, and, don't be discouraged for, you know, your friends and loved ones if that isn't their game. I mean, for right. Kristen, she must have watched, oh my goodness, countless hours of StarCraft with me without really ever getting it or wanting to play. But then here is the storm comes out and she says, yes, that other game too complicated. This one, let's do it. And she's in 100 percent. So it, it's a it's a long process and it takes time and you have to give them that time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, very cool. And I'm going to use my shout out on my husband, Matt, this week because, uh, he is, you know, very, very kind and very loving to, to subject himself to, <laughs> to this entire <laughs> process. That is very true. 
next week we're going to be talking to Christopher Cullen, who is part of the creative team behind WhedonCon. So uh, that's coming up in mid-May, and it's all Joss Whedon. So if you're a Joss Whedon fan, uh, that's what we're going to be geeking out about next week. All the music in this episode is by Ben Sound, is being used under a Creative Commons license. You can find more music by Ben Sound at bensound.com. Geektitude is a proud member of the geek to geek Network. Check out geek to geek shows such as geek to geek Podcast, Video Game News Now, Geek Fitness, Health Hacks, and The Comic Box. And make sure to join our Reddit community at r slash geek to geek cast you can currently find us at geektitude.com as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and most other podcatchers out there. Please leave us a review and spread the word. If you'd like to contact me, you can send me an email at joehogan at geektitude.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter at geektitude or me personally at epicgrays. Kyle, how can we all find you? You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Ferguson. You can find me on Twitch at Kyle Ferguson. YouTube, it's all Kyle Ferguson, but check out into the Nexus over at amove.tv, along with other great shows like The Angry Chicken and, well, many other Heroes Forge, certainly, a creative show that's run on the network where people submit and come up with hopeful new heroes for the Nexus. Lots of fun shows on Amove. Definitely a lot of fun shows. All right. Well, thanks so much, Kyle, for being with us today. And uh, and for all of you listening out there, remember this week, keep it geek. <laughs> <laughs>